Okay, we're um, studying in the book of the Revelation, and um, I want to touch on a few things here in the 20th chapter, and then we'll look at the uh, 21st chapter if we had a chance to do that. Um, last week, I think the title of the message was The Bottomless Pit, and we talked about that a little bit. Why would the Lord call it the bottomless pit? And I think the obvious uh, meaning there uh, would be gathered from what the Apostle Peter said in his sermon, other foundation can no man lay than that is laid which is Jesus Christ. And the bottomless pit is one that has no foundation. And the reason is because it's where the lost are going to be who will never have a foundation. And it's, it's uh, again, this is the genius of God in his, uh, his writing skills, uh, how he takes symbolism and, and packs into it uh, uh, just amazing thoughts that are actually scattered all throughout Scripture. But you begin to see these things and think about these things and you assemble it in your mind and all of a sudden it, uh, you can see the consistency of the Lord and His symbolism and His uh, choice of words. So the bottomless pit is to be also distinguished from the lake of fire it's a completely different location. And every indication is it's in the heart of the earth. Uh, and so when God created the heavens and the earth, uh, the lake of fire was created at the same time. And this brings us to another thing that I, I've actually uh, spoken about I think probably several years ago. And that is uh, exactly where is the lake of fire? I mean, the Bible talks about the lake of fire in the 10th chapter, now the 10th verse of this chapter, chapter 20. Uh, and again, they're separate places. Um, hell as we typically think about hell uh, is the heart of the earth where the rich man was tormented you remember the rich man and Lazarus and the, the one that was tormented was in hell and in hell he lifted up his eyes being in torment well he was not in the lake of fire he was in the heart of the earth not very far away, well, he was a long ways off, a great gulf between him and Abraham and Lazarus, the poor man that had died. But he could see across that gulf. And he could see Lazarus being comforted uh, in Abraham's bosom. <coughs> but that is not the lake of fire. But the term hell is used to describe uh, the place of departed spirits that lost their souls in the heart of the earth. And this is a place that uh, has no foundation. Uh, and uh, I guess one of the ways to think about it is the earth being a circle. Uh, technically in a circle you don't you don't have a a ceiling you don't have a foundation um, so I don't know how to think about that any further in a meaningful way that would mean something to us um, but what we have here also in this 20th chapter is a separation of of time uh, from the return of the Lord Jesus visibly 
and physically to the earth. And then you have this millennial reign, which is the basis for Satan, who is the god of this world, to um, try to inspire his minions, followers, to uh, establish uh, a new world order. And so the new world order is Satan's counterfeit of the millennium. That's what it is. And of course, uh, the millennium is really uh, sort of a foreshadowing of the new heaven and the new earth where uh, the blessings that are beginning to be experienced in the uh, millennial reign, the curse being removed, uh, it's going to be a, another foreshadowing of paradise and the way the earth was when the curse was removed. And so a lot of things are going to be different in that millennium. But that is just a foreshadowing of the new heaven and the new earth. And it's forever. And so there's a sense in which Lucifer has the same uh, expectation. He wants to defeat the true and living God. He wants his millennium. But that's just a foreshadowing of what he wants forever. And so one of the reasons the lake of fire is forever is because uh, God cannot change, neither can man, if he refuses with his own free will to be converted, to become one with God, then his state, his natural state, is fixed forever. And so that's why the lake of fire has to be eternal. Uh, there is no possibility of repentance and conversion uh, after a person dies lost. Um, so that's how we think about that. So now let me get into what I mentioned several years ago. And, and I know that this is just sort of venturing out uh, and a person is not going to lose much of anything, uh, whether you believe it or not. But God has given us these imaginations to study the Bible with. And... He allows us to ask questions. And I think there's a way to ask questions. The disciples did. There was a lot of things they didn't know, and they came and they asked him. I do that. There are a lot of things I read in the Bible, and it stimulates a curiosity, and I don't think it's evil. Uh, I think it's good because uh, God is... Uh, is just an amazing person. He's written us an amazing book. And I just can't imagine a person not getting fascinated with a lot of the things that it says in there. And it it really just sort of it lights me up and gets me excited about some of the thoughts that are in here. Because God is an exciting person. He's an amazing thinker. And what he has created is amazing. If I can diverge for just a moment, I, I've got a calendar in my office. Uh, it's uh, The theme of the calendar is dogs. And I, I got it from an insurance provider. And uh, every month you got a, a different dog on the front. And this month, it's uh, 
It looks like a white Labrador Retriever. I'm not sure exactly. I, I haven't looked at it to see what the actual name is, but I, I'm pretty sure it's a, a pure white Labrador Retriever as a little tiny puppy. And I was sitting there looking at that thing this morning, and there was no way that I could look at that puppy and not see God. And and the the, the colors, the eyes, those little eyes looking at you. I mean, it was just a picture, and it was like that dog was looking right at me. And I was just thinking about the marvel and the wonder of a God that can create such a thing of beauty. And and it just draws you to it, and, and you say, it's so cute. And then the colors, I mean, and the placement of the eyes and the ears and the hair and the shape of the mouth was just so cute. And millions and billions, it looks like, of hairs just growing all over the place that envelops this dog in this garment, a garment. And I, I was thinking about how the Lord clothes us in a, a garment of righteousness. And I was looking at that dog and how the Lord had clothed that dog. And then around the nose, down to the upper lip part, were dark hairs. And the perfection of the artistry in creating that dog is just amazing to me. But you're just looking on the surface. What's behind that eye that you can't see? Well, there's an optic nerve that goes to a brain. What about all of that? And uh, then there's a nerve network that goes throughout the entire body. And there are ears and there are senses, uh, sensory uh, connections to the brain, all the way to the ear with a... Uh, the same basic structure in human hearing with a a drum and what do they call it a stirrup and uh, uh, cochlea and uh, fine hairs and how a dog can hear long distances and the slightest sound if somebody walks by in our yard and makes the slightest sound, those dogs will start barking. They hear it. Their ability to smell, the digestive system, the respiratory system, the reproductive system, the gender. And think about this. Every aspect of what I'm talking about right now has a clock. How's the clock? Tells it when to stop growing. Tells the ears when to stop growing. Tells the eyes when to stop forming. Tells you when to stop getting higher or taller. There's something in there in the form of a clock that's totally controlling the activity of every organ. So that after it's formed, it, it stops. It com is complete, and now it just functions. And somebody's going to tell me that that evolves. What kind of fool doesn't believe in God? He that cometh to God must believe. Must believe that He is. Look at the evidence. It's everywhere. And all along with this, and I've thought about these many things many times, along with every living thing, is the perfect diet for that animal or whatever 
even insects. The smallest, tiniest little insect has a brain. And it works. And if you don't believe it, you try to catch a roach or kill a roach or swat a gnat. And God created every one of these things, whether it's so tiny you can't hardly see it or whether it's an elephant. And it's just amazing to me. And so I enjoy sitting around thinking about these kinds of things and looking deeper because as you look at that puppy and you look underneath that furry outer garment is an inner complexity that is beyond imagination. And God created these things. And so with that, I want to use my imagination a little bit to, again, tell you what I think is a very real possibility. Concerning the lake of fire, where is it? Where is it? And I have biblical reasons for believing that it's the sun. And that we see it every day. The light of the world. The sun symbolizes Jesus Christ, the light of the world. But in Hebrews chapter 12 verse 29, it says this. For our God is a consuming fire. And so whether you're talking about the sword of the word of God, it can pierce the heart in a way that leads to salvation. Or it can pierce in the way of uh, utter destruction. It's a two-edged sword. One way it cuts unto salvation. The other way it cuts unto death. It's the same when it comes to the light of the world. You reject that light and it's damnation. <coughs> and some people uh, revolt at such a thought that the sun could be the lake of fire. Uh, but that's because of evil thoughts toward God. And to think there's anything about him and his person that is wrong or that is evil or that is unrighteous. Let me tell you something. His judgment and his wrath is righteous judgment and it's righteous wrath. And we must never forget it. The lake of fire is a good thing. It's as good as heaven. It's as good as heaven. It's as holy as heaven. It's as righteous as heaven. Because God created it. And he is righteous. And he doesn't do anything unrighteous. I can tell you that. But just because the lake of fire or hell is a negative thought in our mind, we need to be reminded that our thoughts are not God's thoughts. And we need to learn to think his thoughts after him and and turn away from our thinking in such a way that the things that are naturally offensive to us are actually embraced. What's wrong with that imagination? I don't think there's anything wrong with it. <coughs> some people think of the lake of fire as being some remote region of the universe. Far away from anything that we'll ever know anything about or consider for all eternity to come. I don't necessarily believe that. Not on the basis of what the Bible teaches. Out of an endless creation that God has created, you know where His focus is? The earth. If we could put a center 
in the center of something that has no borders, the only way you could have a center is for God to call it the center. The only way we can understand east and west in a a creation that has no end is for God to call it east and west from a certain point. And he gives us a certain point. Israel. God's focus is on Israel which is on the earth. And east and west, north and south is all reckoned from what God appoints in His created universe. And all of a sudden, we're not lost anymore when we receive God's direction and tells us where we are, tells us where He is. And... uh, and so when it comes to um, where God focuses everything in Scripture, it's right here in His solar system. The sun, the moon, the earth, and the stars that are visible to us. This is our solar system. And why would we think it's strange that God would uh, place the lake of fire in that solar system? As though somehow or other there's something wrong with that. There's something unpleasant about that. There's something we want separated away from us so that Uh, it never enters our mind again. But um, I can't think of anything that God would ever do that we would want removed from our thoughts except for the fact that if He is able to not remember something anymore He's very capable of giving us the same ability. And I think He will. And I think in eternity to come, uh, these things are not going to come to mind. They're going to be forgotten forever because God forgot them. And those that find themselves lost forever in the lake of fire, they're going to be forgotten by God, not remembered ever again. And I think we're going to experience the same thing. And so when it comes to the sun being the lake of fire, what studying we can do in the form in the form of uh, natural sciences and so forth, everything that we can learn about the sun is uh, it's, it's, uh, it's huge huge and uh, many many times bigger than the earth and it's a lake of fire it's a lake of fire and every indication is it's not really getting cooler somehow or other this nuclear fission or whatever that's going in there that makes it so hot um, <clears throat> it fuels itself by some kind of process that we don't know about in such a way that the waste becomes the fuel and it's eternal and it just keeps on going keeps on going it doesn't cool Another thing you learn is, uh, if you look into the sciences, is that uh, if you were to go into it, uh, it's black. The darkness, outer darkness, 
I don't know how to understand that. It goes beyond my capability of understanding these kinds of things. But I know that the only thing that we have to go by as a guideline is the Bible. And the Lord said that uh, the lake of fire is a place of outer darkness. And so it's kind of interesting how the Lord does all of this because He gives us the light of understanding and every way we think, light is representative of seeing and understanding, comprehending. But the lost can't comprehend it at all and the Lord said they're blind. Their, their minds are darkened. That's the language of the Bible. And so here they are in the symbolic light of the world able to see absolutely nothing because it's darkness to them. What's wrong with that imagination? It's out of the Bible. That's what the Bible says. So why should we think it's strange that the sun would be the lake of fire? And how ironic that every day when we get up we see the destiny whether you're saved or whether you're lost you're seeing the sun which is the light of the world the sun of righteousness to the believer but the damned are looking every day at where they're going to be for all eternity to come. God's prison house. Locked up forever. And I know in our minds, it's almost unthinkable that we could have loved ones that we knew here on earth, whether it's husband or wife or children or aunts or uncles or favorite acquaintances we've had, friends we've had, and that they would be in that place in this solar system that is eternal. Um, but we're going to understand it and see it the way God sees it. And he's not offended by it at all. And if we're one with Him and we have the mind of Christ, we're not going to be offended by it either. As a matter of fact, we're going to enter into the full justice of God and embrace it the same way He does. And it's not going to matter the human relationships we have down here in this world today. We're not going to view those people the way we view them down here now. I don't believe we are at all. And so all of these kinds of thoughts really test our view of God. Is He a good God? A righteous God in all His works? Even in the creating of the lake of fire? Even in providing a place where the damned are going to be incarcerated for all eternity to come, are we going to look at that as being somehow or other a fault with a righteous and holy God that has no faults? I don't think so. So I'm not going to go any further with that. Um, I do want to mention that <clears throat> um, I don't think it's uh, something we should uh, overlook in terms of creation and that God, when he created the heavens and the earth, uh, circles were uh, 
central to everything that he made. Circles. And so when some people, uh, you know, talk about flat earth and and different kinds of thoughts, I mean, nothing wrong with thinking many things, but the only thing that can give me any stability when it comes to ideas so that my ideas are anchored into something that... Uh, would make it real is scripture. And and any thought that I might ever have, if I can't find some kind of scripture to support it, then I regard it as a meaningless invention in my own mind without any foundation other than an opinion and the Bible is not an opinion. The Bible is the Word of God. And as I pointed out before, the physical world that God created is a mirror of all His thought life, which is invisible, which cannot be seen. And so anytime God thinks a thought, there's going to be a physical representation of it. And I think that God has created a, an eternal creation that is a mirror of every thought of an all-knowing and infinite God with infinite understanding. I believe that a physical creation is a mirror of everything that God is in his thought life in such a way that if you put some kind of definition on the created world that is not his mind as revealed in his word, you're getting off out there into uh, orbit somewhere without a foundation to stand on. The foundation for every thought is the word of God. And so when it comes to any question in life, Concerning anything, you have to look for the answer in the Bible or you're not going to have it. And so God does not fantasize. Everything to God is real. And that's the way it ought to be with us in a court of law. Everything has to be real. You can't imagine anything. There has to be evidence, real world evidence for every claim. And we need to learn to live that way, and that's the biblical way. And so when God created the physical universe and said the invisible things of me are clearly seen by the things that are made, then he has created the physical world in such a way that everything reflects the fact that he is eternal. And that's why everything is in circles. That's why you have molecules. They're circles. That's why you have atoms, because they're circles. That's why you have electrons and neutrons revolving around a nucleus, because it's a circle. And the sun is a circle. And the moon is a circle. All of creation is a circle, because it's uh, the way we see the invisible God, that he's eternal. And as I pointed out to you the other week, even a, a wedding ring is a circle. Why? Because the Lord said, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. I am married unto you. And our relationship is eternal. It's without end. So what's wrong with that thought? I don't see anything wrong with these thoughts. I think they're right out of the Bible. And so when you run into somebody that doesn't think this way according to the Scripture, we need to be prepared to answer them with the Scripture. That's what I try to do. Okay. Uh, <coughs> 
in the uh, 20th chapter, we see that in the first three verses there, that Satan is bound, but not in the lake of fire. He's bound in the bottomless pit, which is the heart of the earth. And so I think it's important for us to realize that these are two distinct places. And um, I think it's also important to remember that the Lord said that we are of our father the devil and the deeds of our father we will do. And so we deserve the same ultimate end that he deserves, which is the lake of fire. And one of the ways that God has, in a very, I guess, subtle way of, uh, of uh, encouraging that thought is how the, the Antichrist and the false prophet, who are human beings, just like you and me, are the first occupants of the lake of fire. A thousand years before Satan is cast into the lake of fire, two humans are. Why? Because we are of our father the devil and deserve the same damnation he does. We've been delivered, folks, from so great a death. So great a death. And it's difficult for us to, with our human minds, to imagine when the Lord said there's none good, no, not one, that he was really teaching us that we deserve the same thing that Satan does because we're just like him in our nature. We hate him. Jesus Christ is the one that said that in his uh, message to Nicodemus. Men hate the light. Neither come to the light because their deeds are evil. And so when the Lord Jesus was massacred on the cross, it wasn't by Satan. It was by man at his best state, the Pharisees. That's how his visage was so marred more than that. What kind of beast does it take to do that to anybody? But this was to the Lord of Heaven, the Savior of the world that gave everything to save us from the lake of fire, to save us from ourselves. You see, this is another mistake. The problem is not hell. It never has been. The problem is what puts people there. Just like criminals that end up in prison. The prison is not a bad thing. It's what put them there and it was the free will that they used to commit crimes worthy of that kind of um, confinement and torment. I think that's how we're supposed to think about these things. And so in this 20th chapter, all of these kinds of thoughts are here, are here in, in this chapter if we'll look for them. And so let's look at verse uh, 7 of chapter 20. And when the, the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth Gog and Magog to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is at the sand of the sea. And so the armies of the world are going to reassemble the same way they were in Revelation 19. When Jesus comes back at the end of the tribulation period, the armies of the world are going to assemble to try to kill him because he's hated. And so the Lord, on numbers of occasions, um, establishes the mindset of the natural man against him. 
a holy and a good God. And the most outstanding thing in all of human history <clears throat> is what happened to Jesus Christ on Calvary. And he had to prove it because people don't believe there's none good, no, not one. People do not believe what Solomon in his wisdom taught. The man at his best state is altogether vanity. He doesn't believe it. But man at his best state marred his visage more than any man and hung him on a cross and tortured him unto death. And the truth is, the Pharisees, I hate to even think this thought because it's so unpleasant, but the Pharisees, as is every character in the Bible, is symbolic of you and me. We are Pharisees. Had we been there, we'd have done the same thing. We would have marred his vicious more than any man. We would have driven the spear in his side. And the truth is, we do it every day in our love for the world more than we love God. We're crucifying him over and over and over again in our nature. And we do it every day. Every single sin, even one, just like with Adam and Eve. This is one thing. And the Lord said, if you sin in one point, you're guilty of every point. So, what are we apart from God? I'll tell you what we are. Exactly what Paris Reedhead said. Monsters of iniquity. Monsters of iniquity. Every human that has ever been born is a monster of iniquity. And the only hope we have is the Creator God creating us all over again in resurrection from the dead because we deserve to die. Every one of us. Every one of us in this room right now deserves to die. We deserve to be cast into hell. Sure do. And we cannot enter into what Paul was saying in his letter to the Corinthians and then to the Hebrews when he spoke about in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 that the Lord has delivered us from so great a death. What is that so great a death? It's a lake of fire forever. That's just so great a death. But then in his letter to the Hebrews, he talked about so great salvation. Folks, we cannot embrace so great salvation without first embracing so great a death. We've got to see that. To whom much is forgiven, much is required. And those that are forgiven much love much. When you see yourself as a monster of iniquity deserving of hell, you can love a lot more than a person who says, well, uh, nobody's perfect. Nobody's perfect. That is a classic phrase of a person who has no clue what this book teaches. No clue. If you want a clue, 
ask them, have you ever sinned in one point? Well, yeah. Well, God says, you sin in every point. You hate me. You despise me. And if I would get in the way of your will and what you want in one point, you would kill me. You would mar my visage more than that of any man. You would. You would do it. That's our condition. And I'm telling you, we cannot understand the message of this book without, I think, laboring to understand the most horrible message imaginable. And it is. It's horrible. But the sad thing is, in the churches today, in the world, nothing is being said hardly at all about the horrible message. It's just about the gospel, the good news. God is love. And He loves us. So much He died for us. And that's it. And the world listens to that and says, well, why wouldn't He? I mean, after all, look at me. I'm a pretty good person. Maybe not perfect, but a loving God would never cast me in hell. How can that person that thinks that way understand why Jesus Christ was so marred more than that of any man? Because that's what we deserve. That's why. We deserve to be slaughtered and burn in the lake of fire for all eternity to come. And you cannot embrace the gospel until you believe all of that. It's not possible. I'm telling you that the false profession of faith is uh, cultivated by leaving all of this out that you're hearing right now. By leaving it out. You cultivate a false profession of faith. And there are countless millions of people in this world today that are being uh, uh, directed toward the wide gate and the broad way that leads to destruction. And that's what's going on in most churches in this town today and that's fine the other thing in this chapter um, are these books I grew up not liking books <laughs> not liking to read <clears throat> that's because I didn't know God but I'm going to tell you about God he loves books he sure does. He got a bunch of them. And uh, when you read in verse 12, And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which are written in the books according to their works. And the first thing I'd like to say is that the book of life is a book that has everybody's name in it that was ever born. And it's called the book of life. Because God, in creating man in his own image, never intended for one to be lost. He wanted every single human that would ever be born in his image to live forever and the record would be a book of life life but if you read carefully the Bible 
you'll find that names get blotted out of the book of life. Well, how could they be blotted out if their name wasn't there? Well, this is God's way in His wisdom of showing His innocence. And how He was planning to do everything conceivable to remove every barrier between them and Himself so that they could be saved because He wanted them to have everlasting life And so he wrote everybody's name in the book of life because he wanted them to have life. But when they used their free will to reject him and to turn away from him because they loved themselves more than they loved him, there would come a point where God would give them up and turn them over to a reprobate mind. And God in His infinite wisdom would know what that point would be. We wouldn't. Because you would have to be the all-knowing God to know. When there's no no point in praying for somebody anymore. Which He says that He does inspire us in such a way to not pray for certain people. Even save people. Not to pray for them. If He sins of sin unto death, not to pray for him because God had determined that person uh, suffer death for the choices they've made. Well, how much more when it comes to the loss that have been turned over to a reprobate mind? Can God so move a person to never think about somebody to pray for them? I think so. If he can so do it concerning saved people, he can certainly so do it concerning the lost. King David said he hated the wicked with a perfect hatred. David said that. Or who are they? I don't know. But God is certainly able to move our hearts and indict prayer in our hearts so that we're praying in accordance with his will. I don't think it's necessarily biblical to pray for everybody. There's some people that are reprobate and they're going to hell and God doesn't pray for them. He's given them up. And if we have if we have His Spirit in us, there are going to be people that we're not going to be in a, a state of mind to pray for them either. I believe God moves upon our hearts and gives us people to pray for. And we have to be guided by His Spirit to know who to pray for and who not to be prayed for. That's, I think, out of the Bible. So the idea of just praying for everybody, that's not biblical. If you think that God prayed for Esau after he turned him over to a reprobate mind, you're not thinking carefully. God doesn't make mistakes. And that man lived many years on this earth with a reprobate mind. So, wow, time flies. I'll say this about the books. God loves evidence. And in His judgments, uh, evidence is central to believing everything or anything. And when the books are open, it's going to be written. Everything that we thought and everything that we did there's a record kept of every idle word that we speak. It's in the books. God's got a lot of books. A lot of books. He's got plenty of room in his library. But every thought that we've ever had, every act 
is written in the books. And when those books are open, there's not anybody, anyone that's going to be able to say, that's not true. When he writes his book, any book is perfect, like this one. You don't add to it, and you don't take away from it. Every one of those books in Revelation chapter 20 are exactly the same way. You don't add to them. You don't take away from them because it's perfect. That's why every mouth shall be stopped and all the world shall become guilty before God. So the final positive note is the glorious gospel message. So great salvation we have received. We need to think on these things every day. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Brother Jim Fry, will you dismiss us, brother?
Continue to bless this church. 